against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. Now, as you probably know, Lincoln did not originate most of those words. He borrowed them and his image of a divided house from whom? Our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 17 that we just read in our scripture reading. Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a divided household falls. Now as important as Lincoln's speech was for the cause of freedom in that time, what Jesus said was far more important because he was referring to a deadlier war that required a stronger deliverance from sin and oppression. He was speaking about the victory of the kingdom of God over the kingdom of Satan. Phrased another way, the kingdom of light would overcome the kingdom of darkness. So today's outline is as follows. Jesus and Beelzebul, Jesus and the battle, and finally, Jesus and the blessing. Let's look at that together, starting at Jesus and Beelzebul. Now, Jesus was doing his thing again, as he had been all over Galilee, and now we're not exactly sure again. Luke doesn't tell us exactly where he is. He could have been in Galilee because he did go back there again. He could have been somewhere in Samaria. He could have been somewhere in Judea. But Jesus was once again performing miraculous healings. But on this particular day, he healed a man, not only of his disease, but who was also under the control of a demonic spirit. And, and the thing that made this really unique is that this man's affliction had caused him to be mute. He could not, never had been all his life, had been able to speak. But then, to the astonishment of the crowd, as Jesus released this man from the demon's grips, he starts chattering, starts talking without anything that would indicate this man had been mute for all this time. He has his voice completely back. 
And so, this man had a disability, but he also had this demonic force that was oppressing him. And now the mute spoke. The mute spoke for the first time. Now, you can imagine the crowd seeing something like that were once again astonished and amazed. Luke, remember, is the gospel of the astonishment or amazement. He is over and over telling us the amazing things that Jesus does. And there were many that were completely flabbergasted and astonished by this. But there were several, like there often were, whenever Jesus grew, drew a crowd, there were people that were with him and for him, and there were people that were against him. And once again, we see more and more as he's moving toward the, the goal of Jerusalem, we're seeing more and more opposition grow. And so mixed in with the amazement of the stunned onlookers, there were other reactions. Some of them made accusations against Jesus by saying that he was, what he did, that miracle, was the fact that he was using the prince of darkness, Beelzebub, to accomplish his healings. So some of the Pharisees and scribes and people that were not believing in Jesus and were at this point dead against him, they were saying that, oh, only reason why he can do that, such an amazing thing, is he's in league with the devil. Some made accusations like that. And of course, Beelzebul, which literally means Lord of the Flies or Dirt, or but in this case, there were others that were perplexed also. But they weren't the ones, some of them were the ones saying, he's using the powers of darkness to accomplish light and life-giving help. I mean, on the, on the surface, this is absurd. There were others that were perplexed in the crowd, and they wanted something more impressive. They, they were, here they are, after all they had seen, and, and yet here they are saying, well, Jesus, can't you do better than that? I mean, can't you, can't you do better than casting out a demon and giving him his voice again and a miracle like that? They wanted more. They wanted something more impressive. They wanted an even bigger miracle. They wanted a sign from heaven. The first word picture that Jesus gave in response to these absurd and confused and evil motives of what some were doing and others were just wanting to be part of the show. But Jesus gave a word picture in verses 17 and 18 of what it gave this word picture of a divided 
kingdom. And we again, we saw that with uh, Lincoln using those same words. Listen to these words again, verse 17 and 18. But he knowing their thoughts said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. Jesus is saying, have you guys lost your minds? How in the world is this going to make Satan's power stronger? If, if they were taking pieces off the chessboard. How in the world is this going to advance his cause? This is idiocy. Jesus was saying that no kingdom, no house, no army, no business, no team, no movement can survive an internal war. You can't fight against yourself and hope to win. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that Satan is malevolent and evil. But I'm not sure at all that he's a complete idiot, that he doesn't understand what Jesus is saying He knows this makes no sense. He knows such thinking is absurd. Now let's look at Jesus in the battle. Jesus gives a couple of battle imagery, uh, fortress kind of imagery in the next section of our scripture. Jesus in the battle. Jesus moves to make another point in verse 20. In that verse, he says, But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He said, If, if I'm doing this, you better know that the real kingdom, the most powerful kingdom of all, is the one doing this and I am here I am the king of that kingdom that's essentially what he is saying um, commentator uh, Kent Hughes uh, brings some of this interesting background to light here he says this allusion to the finger of God you heard that expression the finger of God well that comes from somewhere in the past also in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 8 and verse 19 This has had to do with the Israelites leaving and trying to get out from under Pharaoh's thumb and and get free. This allusion to the finger of God calls to the mind the scriptural account of Moses delivering Egypt by repeated displays of supernatural power. Pharaoh's own magicians warned him, this is the finger of God. They were saying, you can't fight against this. This is the finger of God. The power of God that enabled Christ to cast out demons was proof positive 
of the presence of the kingdom of God right smack dab in their midst. And they were too blind, most of them, to see it. You see, Jesus is showing right here. He's showing that the God of the Exodus is still alive and well right that day on that moment so long ago. His power to defeat demons now demonstrates his power to defeat death itself. Not just defeating a demon, but to slay death itself. That's a powerful kingdom that is coming. Now Jesus continues giving the crowd a couple of more parables, a couple of more stories. And, and one of them has rabbinic it's probably more of, a, of a, a tale, but Jesus turns it to make important points. In the first case, he uses a picture of a siege warfare, and that's in verses 21 and 22. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own place, his good, goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overwhelms him, or overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Now, what's the picture there? The picture is, in this parable, shows that Satan is a strong man. He's powerful, but he's not the strongest man. He's not the stronger man. Jesus says when he's in charge... When he's running the show, he's a strong man. He's powerful. But there's an 800-pound gorilla of far greater power and force that is coming into his world and is going to bring a different kingdom, a greater kingdom. The parable shows that Satan is the strong man, but Jesus is the stronger man who will defeat Satan and his strongholds. He will do it emphatically. He will do it over time. And he will do it finally someday. Jesus made clear his position in this invisible cosmic war with the dominion of darkness. Now, the other thing that Jesus is pointing out in this text is that there is no middle ground. You see, we, we like to have positions where we can kind of play things as need be and kind of play the middle but Jesus is telling us and his followers then and anyone listening this cosmic war you cannot be indifferent to everyone must choose a side you cannot play the middle and by the way that choice that you make is eternal if you Say, I don't believe any of this bunk. 
I don't believe that Jesus died and rose again. I believe that we are just stuff floating around in a cosmic collision course. That's all we are. If you believe that, on the other hand, if you believe that he is the Son of God, it brings the kingdom of God that will overcome all kingdoms. And one day, Christ will be the King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, there's no happy medium there. There's no place where you can say, well, I, I want a little bit of this, but I also want that too. No. You can't have it both ways. And your choice is eternal. Your choice is eternal. You see, the ease with which Jesus exercised demons serves to notice that the strong man's days are numbered. You know, one of the things that's, that, that, that I struggle with, and I used to be a part of, of, of a Christian understanding of the nature of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And it's often, for so long, it seemed almost like people were putting more bets on the kingdom of darkness than the kingdom of light. And, and yet, as time went on, and I read my Bible more and more, and I studied and read more and more, I realized, what in the world is, what are we doing? Satan is not the winner. He's evil. He's malevolent. He's all those things. But he is a created being. He is not all-powerful, omnipotent. Jesus is the stronger man. And too many times we Christians don't act like that. We live more in the shadow and the fear of the powers of darkness. Some, some Christian groups seem to, to think somehow that he's going to win. He's not. You know why? Jesus told us in John 12, 31. This is parallel to the story that we're in right now. Telling Jesus says, now, now is the judgment of this world. This guy may have had things locked up for a while because he's a robber. He stole what should have been held by the first Adam. He has the power to deceive the nations, but the time is coming. And Jesus said, it's now when I'm here. In the first coming, now is the judgment of this world. Now is the ruler of this world cast out. Definitively, Christ was defeated. Not in the future, but 2,000 years ago on the cross, becoming our substitute and rising again and ascending to the Father as King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the play. That's the reality. 
And we should not be so pessimistic. Yes, evil is still among us. Tares and wheat. Jesus teaches that. We'll, we'll get into that later in Luke. But, you see, the strong man's days are numbered. Many in the crowd had no reason to take sides that day. Or at least they didn't want to. But like many today, they, as I said, they want to be neutral. But listen to verse 23, what Jesus said. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Same point coming back again. You can't have it both ways. You're either with me or you're without me. With me or without me. You see, every man, every woman is either for Christ or he is against Jesus. You can't find a middle road. It will be taken from you one way or another. You will either be with him or with the alternative. You see, you've heard the expression, no doubt, nature abhors a vacuum, right? Most of you are very familiar with that. Well, it does. It's just another way of saying you can't, you can't have, there's going to be somebody that's going to be ruling. There cannot be, they're just, well, we'll just, we'll just be uh, neutral here for a while. We'll just set up a nice DMZ and we'll let that play out. And then maybe later, it's a fool's errand. In rejecting Jesus, they have nothing left but empty rites and ceremonies, making them even more susceptible to the plans of the prince of darkness, his deceptions, his lies. Now, obviously, no one can be neutral, as I said, in this contest. And Jesus is telling the crowd around them that they had to make that choice. And unfortunately, many in Jesus' day did not make that choice. And when Jesus, that second parable, I'm not going into it, but that second parable is basically depicting someone that started, just listen to the, this, this section. When he's talking about the unclean spirit of a person, waterless places. But the, the real point is when it comes to find its house swept and put in order, then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. That's the key. The last state of, of a person like this is their situation is going from bad to worse. And that's really a depiction of what Jesus is saying. He's talking 
to the whole of Israel. That for the most part has gone away from God once again. And ultimately is going to be, its house is going to be torn down. And so that's what he's saying. It's going to get what these guys are doing, trying to do to Jesus, trying to say he's doing this by the power of Beelzebub, that he's trying to do this. They, they, Jesus is saying, you're going to have to choose. And if you keep going the way you're going, you're going to end up in a far, far more miserable status and place than you ever imagine you think you are the ones who are calling the shots but your house is going to be left to you desolate and he says at the last state of that person is worse than the first it's going to go bad go very bad for those in verse 26 now this section ends with an encouraging lighter moment Jesus and the blessing at that moment you could have cut the tension in the room uh, because Jesus has been holding court and saying these kind of really strong things to all that were listening and yet suddenly out of nowhere comes this voice of a woman from the crowd and she says blessed Jesus' mother for bringing him into the world. She says, Jesus, you are such a special guy because you have a mother that brought you into this world. How appropriate on Mother's Day, right? Um, now, but Jesus... No doubt, we, verse 28 then says this, but he said, after she had said that, blessed is the womb that bore you and breast and the breast which nursed you. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now, Jesus is not diminishing what this wonderful woman said. She was a truth teller. She spoke the truth boldly. She was not afraid for people to know that she was following. She was buying into what Jesus was saying and telling. She was courageous in her cry. And she was unashamed to be pro-Jesus. And it probably was music to Jesus' ears. He probably was, with all that he knew that he had gone through already, and what he knew was facing him, that encouragement was probably really special in Jesus' heart. But, that's not what he said. He appreciated it, I believe, but Jesus didn't disagree with her 
but he expanded her blessing to include all who hear the word of God and obey it. He didn't put it down or cast it aside. He just expanded it, said thanks, but here's what really, really matters. This is what you need to be caught up in. He expanded the blessing to include all who hear God's word and obey it. When the word of God is at work, brothers and sisters, we are required not to applause, but acceptance. We don't just applaud the word of God. Oh, look, there's the word of God. It takes it to obedience, to acceptance. You see, it's one thing to say, that's the word of God. It's another thing to say, the word of God is speaking to me and it's telling me to yield. It's telling me to say, not my will, but yours be done. That's what it is to accept and receive the word of God. Not as I would have it, Father, but the way you will have it. You are the one who knows I will follow you. I will accept you. I will accept your will over my own. This was another way that Jesus is reinforcing the fact that in spiritual warfare, there is, as I've said already, no neutrality in this cosmic battle between these two kingdoms, a tale of two kingdoms. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in this tale of two kingdoms, there is one certain outcome. And though there is a battle, and it's been raging on for thousands of years, it raged on in our Savior's time of the hinge of history, and it still rages on because he is not through with what he is doing and bringing his kingdom. But Lord, help us to be a part of that. Help us to be those that accept, not just give lip service and outward applause, but accept from the heart your holy word, your will, and not our own that we might be part of those who walk in the kingdom of light, both now and forever. And we pray in Jesus' name.